All right, time to invite all the kids. Come on up front. We're going to be back on this side since we have all the Christmas decorations down. So come on up. Find somewhere to sit up here. All right, come on up. Find somewhere to sit. All right, keep coming up, guys. Come on up. All right, so I have something to show you to start off with. I have here a mirror, right? What do you see in that mirror? What do you see? You see yourself, right? Now, is that really you in here that I'm holding up? No, that's not really you, right? It's an image of you. It's a reflection of you. It's a picture of you, right? That's not really you. This would represent you. You're the real thing, right? There's Gideon. There's a representation of Gideon, right, in the mirror, right? So in the Bible, we read that people are creating God's image. So this is your image in there, right? We read that people are creating God's image. Now, does that mean that we are God? Are people God? No, we're not God, right? But we are created to represent God, and we're created to carry out his purposes on the earth. So because people were created in God's image, that means we have great worth. We have tremendous value. We're really, really important because we're creating God's image. So think of somebody that you know, okay? All you kids, think of somebody that you know. Does that person have value? Are they important? Yes, they are, right? Think of somebody in your family. Is that person valuable? Are they important? Yes, they're creating God's image, right? Think of one of your neighbors, somebody you live next to. Does, does that person have value? Are they important? Yeah. Think of the people you're sitting next to, the people in our church here. Do they have value? Are they all important? Yeah. Now, think of somebody that you don't really get along with too well. Hmm. Does that person have value? Are they important? Yes, they are, right? So we need to treat people as important and valuable because we are created in God's image. So if that's true, if we want to treat people as important and with value, do we have the right to hurt other people? Should we cause them harm? Should we have bad, cause bad things to come into their lives? No? Is it okay to hit your brother for no re good reason? Is it okay to pick on other kids? No. Why not? Because they have value. They're created in God's image. So that gives them value and importance, right? So instead, we should be people who do what we can to protect other people from getting hurt and protect other people from being treated poorly so that they can protect people so that they can be treated with the value that God has given them. So if you hear of somebody making fun of someone else, you can tell them to stop it, right? You can protect that person from being hurt. If you see somebody hurting somebody else, maybe hitting them or pushing them over, you can take action to stop it. You can protect them from getting hurt because they have value and importance. Or if you see somebody being treated unfairly, you can be a friend to that person, right, and treat them well. So because people are created in God's image, they have great value. So we want to keep that in mind, and we want to work hard 
to treat people with the value and the importance that God has given them. Do you think you can work at that and do well with that? I bet you can. All right, thanks for coming up, guys. You can go back and have a seat. All right, we are beginning a a three-week sermon series or a three-part sermon series on this issue being created God's image and defending others. Uh, Decided to do this because of the recent church shooting in Texas where um, a gunman killed two before being killed himself. And let me just set the stage for it. In July 25th, 1993, Sunday evening at St. James in South Africa, armed gunmen entered worship service. They tossed grenades in the congregation and opened fire with automatic rifles. Charles Van Wyck, seated towards the back of the, the sanctuary, the gunman came in kind of the front, <clears throat> Uh, always carried a weapon, a 38 specialist snub-nosed revolver. Um, many in his life, friends, fellow Christians, always questioned why he would do so, and especially bring it to church. But he was the only person in the congregation that evening armed. Uh, when the gunman started firing, he kneeled and took aim and fired two shots at him. Realizing he was too far, he went out the side, ran along the side of the church building, where others were waiting in ambush outside the church, fired three more times, and the fat attacker sled. Eleven were killed in the church, but if it weren't for Charo, many, many more would have been. One uh, armed man in the church saved many lives. By contrast, in Zimbabwe, at Elam Mission Statement or Elam Mission Station, uh, Christians were there doing uh, mission work, but they were pacifists. They knew that they were in a dangerous area, women and children, hostile to them. Um, They were attacked. All of them lost their lives um, in a hostile environment. And so we live in this kind of a world, in this kind of a culture. We know that there have been numerous attacks at nightclubs, schools, churches, workplace, shopping centers, homes, and so on. And as we're also aware, each time there is such an attack... There is mounting pressure for more and more gun control legislation. And it looks as if the aim of it all is to remove our right to own guns. And so what I want to do in these three sermons is just look at what Scripture actually says about this. All right? What does Scripture say about the right or duty to use lethal force to protect yourself and others if truly threatened. And then what about those texts that seem to indicate opposite? What about turning the other cheek? What does that have to do with this? And so I thought in light of, as I said, the recent shooting in Texas, this would be a good opportunity. So for the next three sermons, we're going to look at that. I had planned to do this in three consecutive sermons. As many of you know, my wife's grandmother was sick. She actually passed away on Friday. Thank you to all of you for your care and help. I've been uh, Mr. Mom for the last week with my kids, and so all the meals were greatly appreciated, so they didn't have to subsist on frozen pizza. Uh, they did well, but I'll be gone next Saturday for the funeral down in, around Indianapolis area. So Pastor Jeff will be preaching, so we'll have a week off in between, but we'll do three, so we'll get back to it. So this 
Sunday, I just want to cover what does the Bible teach about this? We'll see that the Bible does and tell we have a right and a duty to protect others and be armed. Uh, then in the second sermon, so two Sundays from now, I'm going to look at the objections to that, and especially biblical texts that might seem to indicate otherwise. And so we'll look, we'll look at that. So I'm not going to answer that this Sunday. Some of you are going to leave here, but what about? Well, come back in two weeks. We'll check that out. And then the third week, then I want to just do application. All right, in light of what the Bible says, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my family and for our church and so on? And so be patient. Some of the questions won't be answered today. They might be raised, but they'll be answered in coming weeks. We're going to start this morning with Exodus chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn there, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. Genesis, then Exodus, and we're in chapter 22, verses 2 and 3. Exodus chapter 22, verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Let's pray and then uh, we'll get into these things. Father, help us now. Help us to simply hear your word, to be attentive and open to it. God, keep us from, on the one hand, being puffed up, machoistic, and on the other hand, uh, neglecting to protect those created in your image. And so, God, teach us how to do this and do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a bit about this text. Uh, here we have, following on the Ten Commandments, which were two chapters before, um, the Ten Commandments, as you may have heard, are summarized often in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So these verses then are giving detail in specific situations on how to love your neighbor as yourself. One way not to love your neighbor would not to be a thief. Right? So we shall not steal. Um, there is such a thing as private property, private residences, and you're not allowed to go in and take what belongs to somebody else. Uh, we also have the command, thou shalt not murder. The opposite, or the, 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 that's the negative. You can't take the life of another human being unlawfully uh, because they're created in God's image. But the positive side of that then would be you are to protect innocent life. That's what this command is dealing with here. So at night, in the dark, if somebody were to break into your home, what does, how do you live out the sixth commandment? That's what these verses are talking about. Right? So if you as a husband, father in that home where somebody is broken in, in the dark, are you biblically allowed to use lethal force to defend yourself and your family? Yes. If it's at night and he breaks in and you kill him, you're not guilty. You haven't broken the sixth commandment. Right? You have done what you should, is what's saying here. Now, if it's in the daytime, the punishment for thievery is not death. So in the daytime, you can see what's going on. You can see the person in the house. You, you know the situation. And if he's not threatening you bodily with harm, 
you are to try to get out. You're to try to flee. Uh, if he attacks you, of course, you, you can do that. But, and, and so just, just very simply here, we see at the beginning how the Bible is going to talk about these things. So just keep that in your brain, and let me just put pause there and, and explain a little bit more for the need of this series with that in your minds. I assume in preaching this series that really the vast percentage of you agree wholeheartedly with what I've just said. In fact, I saw many of you nodding your heads. I haven't seen anybody get up and leave yet, right? So I I know our church. If you don't know, when I was interviewing or candidating for this job and I did my first in-person interview, I think it was within the first couple questions. Is that right, Terry? I mean, it was like, it wasn't the fifth question. It wasn't the first. It was probably like the third. What do you think about carrying guns in church? <laughs> That's what I was asked. Um, and so I am going to preach these sermons assuming that really the majority of you strongly, that you don't just agree, but you agree strongly with what we'll see in Scripture. So why bother with this? We agree. Well, Here's why I bother with this. We as Christians want to know why. It's not just enough to say I agree, but what does the Bible say? We want to be careful to know the scriptural teaching, not just the cultural, not just our laws, but what does scripture say? We're not beholden ultimately the laws of man, but the laws of God. When that shooting happened in Texas afterwards, I think it was either the pastor was being interviewed or he just made a statement, and he stated that he was grateful that our country allows us to have guns to defend ourselves. That's right. That's the right sentiment. But ultimately, it isn't our country that gives us this right. We'll see in Scripture that it's God that gives us this right. You see it here in Exodus 22. And so I assume that you believe wholeheartedly in the Second Amendment. But I want to say as Christians, we need to make sure that we just don't assume a right or duty unless we see it written in God's Word. So I want to take time to teach from Scripture on this issue so that your understanding of it is based there. Right? We want to be careful here. We want to be done with simplistic arguments. We we want to look to God's word. And so this is, a, this is a larger issue than just a right to defend yourself and be armed. This is, we're Christians. We want to base what we think and act on the word of God. So the second reason for this sermon is just our current climate here in our country. Uh, 75% or so of Americans support stricter gun control legislation. Um. And so this, what we'll see is a biblical right and duty is being eroded, attacked. Uh, And then even within a church, there is something of a reluctance. We know that it might be right to carry a gun out in public or have our home guarded by our weapons, but in church it just seems, yeah. Uh, one of the things that might surprise you, I did a, some research before the sermon and reading historically on this issue in our country. And early on in our nation, all of the first colonies had laws requiring 
each man to own guns. And not just to own them, requiring them to bring them to church. For instance, in Virginia, in 1631, they passed the law requiring each man to own a gun and to practice in public. Okay? So he had to own a gun and practice in public, and each man was required to bring his piece or pieces to church. And if he was found at church without his weapon, he was fined two pounds of tobacco. <laughs> I use that because I think it's great on two fronts. Tobacco's evil today, so have at it there. And, and guns in church. All right. Uh, look, look around you. Who is seated at the end of each pew, largely? Men. Why? Well, that was because early on when they were required to bring guns to the church, they had to have somewhere to put it and have it in close reach. <laughs> Why does a pastor go to the back of the church at the end? It's not just to greet each other or greet you guys. I could do that just by milling around. It's because he was supposed to go out and peek his head outside to make sure that all was safe to guard the sheep. That's where that came from in our country. <laughs> right? So we have this long-standing ways of considering protection of God's people by arming yourselves in church. In fact, there are lots of pictures of pastors preaching with their, <laughs> their gun laid across the pulpit. I didn't do that this morning. Uh, I'd probably be a step too far, I would assume, right now. And then, we live in a particularly effeminate age. Now, when I use the word effeminate, it's not a slam against the feminine. It is a exalting of feminine virtues above all, especially requiring that men be more like women. All right? And this would include then the removal of a man's responsibility to protect his wife, children, church, and so on. And this effeminacy has been led by the church. Two of the largest denominations, the United States Methodist and Presbyterian Church of America, not only ban guns in all their churches, but work with organizations in the government to remove the right for Americans to own weapons. So this, is, this right, this biblical duty is being eroded within the church. We live in a dangerous world. Uh, in 2014, I, I didn't find more up-to-date statistics, but close to our day, there was a crime for every 20 citizens and a violent crime for every 60. Um, and so w w since this is an issue in our culture, since there is danger, since the Bible does teach a man's duty to protect, those he loves and himself. And since it's being eroded, one of the reasons for this sermon series, I want to go on record now in our church, having something there, that as this gets further eroded, we can go back and say, no, 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 Be before the pressure is really on, we, we hold this. And so this, that's why one of the reasons we're doing this. But ultimately, I just want to, to ground you in God's word on this issue. All right? Let me start. Well, that, that's, I have started. But let me really start uh, with the gospel. As I said, I know you all, and I know that this sermon series is going to be largely preaching to the choir. If 
you um, are already getting angry and your blood is beginning to boil because you're in complete disagreement with us, just be patient, please. Have a tender heart towards God's word. I'm really going to show you from Scripture the right and duty to arm yourself and to protect yourself, even using lethal force. But again, I, I think a huge percentage of you are in agreement with this, right? So I could preach this sermon series in a way to get a lot of backslaps afterwards, right? I'm preaching to the choir. This right is dear to us, and it should be. So owning guns, having guns is a, is a, is a really big deal for many of us. That's good, and I want to encourage that. But first I want to start with Christ. Your righteousness is not found in anything but Jesus Christ, Okay? It's not in owning guns. It's not in taking a bullet. The fact is that when the time was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to secure salvation for all of God's beloved elect. Christ died for our sins to deliver us unto his father. You and I have no righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. And that righteousness before God is only by faith. It is not by works. Okay? That's the priority here in our church. That is the center, the whoop and the wharf, the beginning, the end. We are together as God's people because Jesus Christ came and died, rose, ascended, reigns, and we have faith in him, and so we gather to worship him and to love each other. And loving each other does include protection. Okay? So the same faith that we profess in the Son of God is the same faith that empowers and strengthens us to do the good work that we're supposed to do for each other. And this good work includes protecting each other. So we start with Christ and faith in him alone. And that faith leads us to do the righteous good deeds that we ought. And one of those righteous good deeds is the willingness to lay down our, our lives in protection, even using lethal force against somebody who would harm us for other people. But our priority is Jesus Christ. We want to do whatever glorifies him. And I want to show from Scripture that it is glorifying to him to be prepared to protect yourself and others against threat. All right? But what's your priority? It's got to be Jesus, brothers and sisters. Okay? Again, if, if your heart beats a little more rapid at guns than it does about Jesus, there's something wrong in your heart. I want you... And so I want you to... Love Christ above all, and then take up your duty to protect those you love and yourself. That out of that love for Christ, this is a love. You got it? I mean, is that clear? We've got to start with Christ here. And in order to start with this gospel, we have to start with who we are. We are created in God's image. If you turn back a book to Genesis chapter 9... <clears throat> Verse 6, 
We are creating God's image. Adam and Eve created male and female in the image of God. God created them male and female in his image. In verse 6, therefore, murder is wrong. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Pastor Jeff said it in the children's sermon. You heard it. I wanted to use this verse because we're created in God's image. Therefore, the taking of human life is abhorrent. It's evil, except in two instances. In Scripture, there are two instances where it is lawful and even a duty to take the life of another human being. We see one here. If you take the life of a human being, first-degree murder, not manslaughter, first-degree murder, your life is to be ended. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man his own image. Life for life. The second is what we saw in Exodus 22. It is lawful to take the life of another human being in order to protect the life of an innocent human being. So, let me just quote to you from a commentator talking about Exodus 22, about Genesis 9, 6, and about the Sixth Commandment. If a child or man finds himself in a situation where an appeal to arbitration is not possible, that is, somebody's coming to attack, and it's not possible to talk it out. They're going to threaten your life or threaten the life of somebody else. He should fight with all that he has. And then he just kind of gets down into the daily. If your neighbor, if the neighborhood bully catches your child on the way home from school and your child can't escape and there's no help, your child should poke a hole in him with a sharp pencil. Right. Always realize, though, that the man who attacks you or your wife has forfeited his right to fair treatment. Women should be prepared to gouge out the eyes of any man who attacks him. What I want to simply say is that is a biblical good thing. It's not something that we get giddy about and rejoice in. Every life is precious before God. But there is in Scripture, because human beings are created in God's image, to protect innocent life from those that would threaten using violent, lethal force. Let me just give you a few examples from Scripture. Uh, One would be the book of Esther. We're not going to turn there, but if you would, Book of Esther uh, is a true story of a man who wanted to exterminate all the Jews. By God's providence, at the same time, God put a Jewish woman on the throne as queen. The plot against the Jews was discovered, and the plot entailed a man who paid a huge sum of money to the king to write a law allowing for the murder of all of the Jews on a certain date. And in that country, those laws could never be overturned. So the Jews were left absolutely defenseless, were not allowed to protect themselves. And on this date, they were going to be slaughtered. Well, when the plot was discovered, the man who uh, paid the king 
was hung on his own gallows, but the law couldn't be overturned. And so what the king did is write a second law encouraging the Jews to arm themselves and defend themselves with lethal force, which they did. And that in that book is held up as a good example of godly, faithful behavior. Arming yourselves to defend yourself and your family and your loved ones and your uh, similar people of faith from external violent threat of life. That's a good example of a thing to do in the Bible. Another way to say it is, it would have been wrong of them not to do it. It would have been wrong of them not to do it. Another example, and here I want you to turn to Nehemiah uh, chapter 4. So if you get to the book of Psalms, just before it is Job, just before it is Esther, and just before that is Nehemiah. So if you get to Psalms right in the middle of your book, go left a couple of books and you'll find Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4. So here we have God's people had been exiled because of their faithlessness and idolatry, faithlessness and idolatry. And they've been allowed to return and rebuild their city, but they have opposition, and that opposition is violent. So they're building the wall, they're working hard, and in verse 7 we see that their enemies were very angry, and in verse 8 they plotted together to come and fight and cause confusion. So first, what do they do in verse 9? They pray. Then they set a guard. Then what do they do? They arm themselves. Look at verse 21. So we labored at the work. Half of them held spears from the dawn of break until the night came out. A little later, we see that they're working with trowels in one hand and holding their weapons in the other. Verse 18, sorry. Each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side. We'll get into this more in the next sermon, but one of the common objections to this is, well, faith means you shouldn't worry about protecting yourself. God will take care of it. Well, here we see faith and prayer intertwined, held up as a good virtue with arming yourselves and getting ready to protect even violently against the threat of force. We see this in the New Testament as well. In Matthew twenty six fifty one, an armed crowd came to arrest Jesus. Peter, as you know, famously drew his sword and cut off the ear of the slave of the high priest. Peter was rebuked for this, but if you pay careful attention, he wasn't rebuked for having a sword. In fact, Jesus tells him to put it back in its sheath. Jesus knew that he would have a sword. He was obviously all right with it, as we'll see in a moment. Peter was rebuked. I think, it doesn't say, but I believe he was rebuked because it wasn't the time and they were woefully outmanned. (laughs) There was an army with weapons and one man with a sword. That's foolishness. (laughs) They would have all been slaughtered. In Luke 22, 36, Jesus says, the one who has no sword should sell his coat and buy one. Peter responds, Jesus, we have two swords. And Jesus says, it's enough. 
we could go on here, but we, we can see in Scripture that the outworking of man created in God's image in connection with the command to not murder and its positive protect life means that we have not just a right, but a duty to protect life. Let me quote from the Westminster Larger Catechism about the Sixth Commandment. It says, The duties in the Sixth Commandment require careful study and lawful endeavor to preserve life by defense thereof against violent, comforting and succoring and protecting and defending the innocent. So the Sixth Commandment doesn't just prohibit murder. It requires the protection of the innocent. All right, so let me just close. I think I'm closing now. Yeah. Um, let, let me just, if I can, talk to the men. We're going to see in the coming weeks that this duty is firstly a man's. I think it's just common in nature. Watch your little girls and little boys play. What do little boys do? Right. Little boys often turn everything into a gun or into a sword. They fight. Right. Little girls, what do they typically do? They make everything into a home. <laughs> and then in Scripture, we'll see this. Um, again, I'm not going to answer anything. We're going to talk later on about what is the role of the police and the government, the individual, and, and so on. Uh, but men, you were created for this. In Genesis chapter 2, God told Adam that he was to work and to keep the garden. The term keep in the Hebrew includes, the main thrust of it is protecting, keeping it safe. That's what Adam was supposed to do and the devil showed up. And he didn't. Men, one of the main things in being a man is guarding. It's protecting. You know this. You get it. When I was a kid, I used to hide uh, knives around the house in case somebody came in. I'd always have one. My mom was like, where did the steak knives go? I wonder if they're still hidden somewhere there. Men, your physical body is made for this. You're more muscular, you're stronger in general than women. You're made to protect. Now, you know that this can be used for evil too, can it? You can use your strength to harm, to abuse. And what we're talking about is other men violently opposing those who do such things. So if we as a church hear that you're abusing your wife or children or elderly parent or anything, one of our duties as men is to come and use all force necessary to stop you. And, and that's a good work. And so men, you're made for this. Men stormed the beaches of Normandy. Men were at the, armed, at the church in Texas armed and shot and killed the murder. It was right. But this is looked down upon today. Throughout the Bible, we're called to do this. Paul tells Timothy, in connection, the men of the church, to fight the good fight. Fighting is a good ethic in the Bible, provided it's for good purposes and using the right means. 
men are called to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Paul exhorts men to act like men, be strong, stand firm. The word meek in the Bible is very misunderstood. The the term itself is actually a warfare term. It's used about uh, war horses. It's called meeking the war horse. Meeking means to take a tremendously strong and violently powerful animal and bring it under control and direction of its master. It's to use its power and force and strength and violence for the right and good purposes. That's what meek is. Meek isn't pathetically weak. Meek is using your strength under control. And so, men, I want to encourage you in this. But the third sermon will encourage you on how to be armed and so on. In this one, I want to challenge you. One of the failures we as men can have in this is this kind of brash machoism. We feel more manly because we have a gun on our hip. We feel more manly because we got steel in our hands. That's not manliness, that's lack of maturity. So let me just do this. Men, young men, often have these high, as I did as a, as a little boy and still do today, um, you, you, always, you, you sometimes imagine the most extreme situation. Somebody comes into your home and how you would end that person. That's good. I want to encourage that. But, if, but, but that's a big, huge, probably never in your lifetime, though you should be prepared for it. But what about all the little ways of protecting? What about all the little ways of protecting? Like, are you protecting your own heart from lust and pornography? By cultivating a deep fear of God and reading his word. Are you protecting your wife? Are you in Ephesians 5 helping to sanctify her so that she might be presented before God with no spot or wrinkle? Are you willing to protect her from her own sin? Are you protecting your children? Not just from invaders that might come into your home to do them harm, but from wickedness and media. Do you discipline them for disrespecting their mom? Are you willing to say no to them? Are you protecting your daughters from immodesty? Because I, I, I think we can sometimes dupe ourselves in a thing that we do the really big thing when we're not willing to do the smaller ones. Do you get me? And we should have very little confidence that we would do the big one if we're not doing the little ones. And so what is one way that you can engage more in your manly duty to protect? May, it may be that you just need to start praying with your wife. Maybe... And now you're ready to sleep, you need to just look over your wife and say, honey, what's one thing I can pray for you? Or maybe it's you just need to get up a bit earlier and read the Bible for five minutes. Or maybe you need to stop watching certain things. You need to say no to buying this or saying that. And maybe that you need to get some training in the use of a gun. We'll get that in the third sermon. And so let's be careful to be manly in the little ways and not just preparing for the big one. That's easy. Let's be men who love and protect.
in, in little ways first. That's ultimately what Christ did, didn't he? All right, let's pray. Father, help us now uh, to take your word and live it, but to do it uh, on Monday morning and not just in daydreaming. God, we praise you for your word, that it is sufficient for all of life and godliness. And so, God, I pray that you'd take this word home. It helps to think more carefully about this right and duty to protect. And that you would help men to take this on, young men to take this on, and young women and women to be willing to come under this and rejoice in it and encourage it. And so, God, we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the charge this morning, Isaiah 66.3 tells us that the one to whom God looks, the one whom God has favor for is the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at his word. So the first uh, thing to do from this sermon is to run out and buy a gun. That might be the second. Uh, The first is just to humble yourself before God's word by accepting it, by pleading with the Lord for a heart that fears and loves his word above all others. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.